Hello, you're listening to Life of the Jet, about stories and careers of the Jet alumni community. In this episode, my guest and I will be talking about her area of expertise, which is recruitment of foreign nationals for jobs in Japan. But what we're really talking about here is choice, how we make them, how much anxiety it can cause, and how to manage that and the expectations that we place on ourselves. Whether it is as simple as making a purchase or deciding between paths at one of those pesky life crossroads, Life is about choices and the choose your own adventure path that results. And on a side note, apologies about the audio quality about the podcast. Sometimes the internet just doesn't like to play well with others. Thanks for your patience and understanding. Let's get to it. Hello, my name is Amanda Chow. I'm originally from Sydney in Australia and I studied Japanese in high school and in university. I worked for a couple of years after university at uh, the University of Sydney as an international student exchange advisor. So that was a really good experience. Um, but I applied to JET because I wanted to myself <laughs> experience uh, living and working abroad and to use my Japanese skills and contribute to international exchange in you know a concrete way. So I actually came on JET in 2013. Group A, <laughs> the summer of 2013, which is actually a very, very hot summer. And my assignment was in Kochi Prefecture, which is in Shikoku. And I was the CIR of a very, very small village called Kitagawa Mura, which is in the eastern part of Kochi. And it's famous for being the village that produces 10% of the yuzu in Japan. It's becoming a lot more popular, like、um, yuzu based、um, alcoholic beverages and as a garnish、oh. in food and things like、oh. that, too. So it smells amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I really miss actually driving around the village,、um, you know, going to school, windows down, past the yuzu orchards, all the aromas coming into the car. But it was a very, very small village. So、um, yeah, even though I was a CIR, I worked a lot in the schools、uh, as an ALT. So Uh, there was a kindergarten,、uh, elementary school, and a junior high school there. And so I was teaching English a lot and doing a、uh, kaiwa as well for the、uh, senior citizens in the village.、Uh, I also started an a kaiwa at school,、uh, the elementary school, for the older students、um, while I was there too. So、um, yeah, I did a lot of English teaching related activities,、uh, but also tried to do、uh, a lot of events as well. So And mostly cooking <laughs> different parties for the the village children, you know, for Christmas and Halloween, and tried to introduce the concept of Easter as well to to them too. So yeah, it was a really good experience, and I really enjoyed it for two years.、Uh, I don't really miss the、uh, wildlife. <laughs>、um, there was a lot of stray cats that would you know hang out under my car. <laughs> I was always stressed about you know starting the car and running something over, so I would always have to check under my car before I moved my car. 
Um, but there were snakes as well around mm. the village sometimes and a lot of frogs. I came home one time. There was a tiny, tiny frog sitting on my door handle too. Oh, so um, yeah, it was very cute. And then the thing I don't miss is all the insects that would just kind of hover around my front door because there was a light that would switch on at five o'clock. They just came, mm-hmm. came to the light, and then I couldn't open my door without all these insects coming into my apartment. Summer, so. summertime is basically kaiju time, you know, with all the, the, the huge mukade, the huge insects that just come out from the countryside. I mean, they're beautiful. <laughs> I've, I've seen what look like gold-plated or pewter-plated beetles and insects, which I've never seen before. They're, they're amazing. But some of those bastards are like as big as your hand. I totally understand the average Japanese kid's fascination with insects, though, like collecting insects. There's so many different types. Fortunately, I never had a, a mukare, a centipede, in my apartment. But mm. um, yeah, I did sometimes have. Uh, I ca- I came home and uh, there was a yamori outside my my door, so a little gecko. So yamori is the name of the lizard. Um, so it eats insects, so that's why I guess they came to my <laughs> yeah. my door. But it also is um, another has another meaning of protecting the house. So it's actually quite lucky to have uh, one around your house. So that was nice. I liked those not so much the flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where I was after I finished jet. I had a very um, I guess interesting after jet experience. I personally had. A fair amount of trouble deciding what I wanted to do next and where I wanted to go because there's so many options, quite overwhelming for a lot of people. And um, it was for me definitely to decide what country I wanted to go to. I wanted to be here or go back to Australia or take a working holiday and go somewhere else. Um, eventually, I decided to try and find work in Japan so that I could experience a different lifestyle, maybe live in a bigger city environment. So I tried to look for uh, work here. Uh, I didn't end up finding anything that I wanted to do after, you know, when my jet contract finished. So what I ended up doing was kind of unusual. I moved from the village to Kochi City and I was working a couple of part-time jobs. So in after-school juku English classes and Eikawa classes and just looking for more uh, full-time work. Uh, as I was doing that and so um, I was interviewing a lot of places and eventually I I was offered actually two jobs at the same time. <laughs> One was a student recruitment for a university which was a kind of nice segue from my previous job in Australia to, to bring here but I ended up taking the other job which was a recruitment job. I decided that I wanted to try working in the private sector, international education company uh, recruiting for teachers to do that work. Uh, it seems like a nice fit for me. So I joined and it's been slightly over four years now <laughs> since I joined that organization. To give a bit of background, the company that I work with is uh, called Link Japan Careers. And uh, when I joined initially, I actually was working with Interact. And Interact was bought by a larger organization called the Lincoln Motivation Group, which is a leading HR consultancy firm. They have a lot of group companies that focus on education, so certification courses uh, for individuals um, for computer skills and other types of things. So uh, Rosetta Stone is under the Lincoln Motivation Group umbrella, as well as DIA, Aviva, 
Um, I joined Interact, but essentially a year into that job, they then transitioned me to work with the new uh, Link Japan careers company. And so I was still doing recruiting work, but just under a different <laughs> group company. In that job, I have interviewed a lot of people <laughs> who would live all around Japan who want to work mostly in education services. But since I moved to Link Japan careers, we have clients in non-teaching uh, jobs as well. Uh, yeah, I interview a lot of people and try and coach people through their decisions for what they want to do and where they want to go next. Yeah, it's been it's been a really good experience. And I think having gone through a lot of struggle myself when I was transitioning work after JET, I have a lot of empathy for people who are in those kinds of situations the time of leaving jet you do need to decide all of those things like where to go um what type of job to do um you know all of the decisions you need to make in a very short space of time you usually don't have to make all of those choices when you're just changing a job um all you need to really think about is what type of job do I want to do and can I find something like that that's nearby me but as a jet you're forced to move out of your apartment mm. in pretty much you know all um placements for a lot of jets, visa sponsorship is the main um, concern as well because uh, sometimes, you know, the, the visa is expiring at exactly the same time as they're leaving their job. In other instances, the concern is just the type of visa that they hold. If, you know, you're an ALT, you have an instructor visa. So it doesn't allow you to do any other work other than teaching in a public environment. So making sure that you give, it, give yourself enough time, you get the job that will get you the visa sponsorship in time and also the right time of you know, all those sorts of things. So mm -hmm. um, it is it is a lot of things to think about. Sometimes you can get conflicting information <laughs> from, mm -hmm. from different sources as well, which adds to the confusion, you know, people who've done this or that. In that case, what would you recommend as a reliable source or sources of information? Reliable sources. Yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> I think Always good to talk to experts, right? So um, I would put myself in that category simply because I talk to so many people and I've worked with so many people who are looking for work in Japan and who need to change their visa to do the next job. So uh, it's something that we, we kind of deal with in daily conversation. It's something that is part of our lives, but for most people it only happens once or twice. So talking to people who work in recruiting agencies, uh, going to the immigration office directly, of course, because they're the ones who are going to be able to give you personal advice. In any move for your for career or for work, it's such a big part of your life, what you do in your waking hours every day. Work is what for a lot of people, you know, they're doing for most of the time they're awake. So it is a very important decision to move to something that you feel comfortable with. So um, you know, part of what I do try and talk to people about is just try and make sure that they are comfortable with, you know, where the environment of the the organisation that they're going into, you know, trying to get as much information about that as I can and sharing that with the candidates before they submit mm. their application or before they go to an interview so that they, they can have an image of what it's like. How difficult was it to transition into the private sector? And did you have any transferable skills that help with that? I think the most difficult thing for me in the immediate transition was going from having a fairly relaxed 
lifestyle in Kochi and, you know, not having a lot of responsibility in my day-to-day work, just making sure that the lessons were done every day and um, the events were finished to having to ongoingly manage my workload that would affect not just myself, but my team members and the candidates that I'm talking to and the clients as well. So it was, I think, the pace that was um, a little bit of an adjustment. But then I also think it was a nice stimulus for me because it was a little bit too slow for me in the village a lot of the time. Um, I actually came from working with quite high volume data and people and interactions when I was working at the University of Sydney when I was doing um, student exchange advising before I came to Japan. So it was kind of going back to that (laughs) Mm. work style, if that makes sense. Uh, which was actually not too bad. I think the other thing that was a big transition was just being in Tokyo itself and just having so much stimulus around in terms of just the even just number of people, but lawful signs, you know, mm. the daily commute on the packed trains, like all of those things. So it was a lot of change all at once. Yeah, but in terms of, as you say, transferable skills, I think if you've been working in any position where you're, you've done program management or operations so you know teaching is is part of that you know making sure that the curriculum is delivered to the students and following the curriculum and organizing your lesson plan I think that time management and organization skills definitely something that transitions to an office environment yeah and the interpersonal skills as well so um, making sure that you have good relations with the other staff in the schools Um, you know team teaching is something that requires a lot of good relationship and and good communication so that definitely is something that transfers you know directly to to an office environment you need to have good relationships of trust otherwise nothing gets done so what was it like working as a foreigner in the private sector i think for me i was fortunate in that the team that i was in so the company was you know it's 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 a japanese company but my team um, was mainly comprised of non-japanese staff so the culture of our team in amongst this Japanese organization is fairly international, actually. So and our day-to-day communications was in English. It was nice in some ways we had some allies, <laughs> you know, um, in this kind of, with this, but the, the, the company itself that I've, I've been working in does have uh, that kind of global perspective. And um, a lot of the Japanese staff also are fairly bilingual too. So you know, with overseas experience themselves. And that's partly why they're attracted to work with this organisation, because um, it is a company that provides um, services for non-Japanese people in Japan. So being able to um, help smooth uh, work and transitions on a daily basis for non-Japanese people is something that, you know, they feel very strongly about too. So I think having like-minded people around Mm. um, definitely helped. Something that might be more of a transition is um, just getting used to how things work in a uh, Japanese business environment as opposed to, yeah, the, the communications with the people themselves I thought was fine, but just um, getting used to, you know, being assigned work and being assigned work to different departments whenever the company needs you to change jobs. So when I was working at the University of Sydney, um, there was a couple of times when my colleagues were able to apply for secondments to other positions when they were interested in that job. And um, it was a good chance for them to choose, you know, which direction they wanted to go to and expand their career, but still, you know, have the security of their permanent contract. 
whereas you know here you know you have the contract with the company and and that's basically it. Like they they can just choose where, where you go. Yeah, I've I've been with this organization for just over four years now, and in that space of time, they haven't necessarily moved my main you know, department, but I have been, you know, seventy percent, thirty percent assigned to different roles <laughs> at some point or other. So now I'm in the uh, recruiting and career advising section. Yeah. And then the next thing that they want to move me to the work content is still uncertain aside from recruiting actually um some of the other work that i have been doing is the development of uh professional development resources for the um, alt population of interact and uh that was uh, you know a lot of things that we started a few years back um i think the program's changed quite a lot since now but um, you know, starting out with learning more about yourself and what your personal tendencies are and um, getting more into what areas you want to work on to develop your skills further for whatever you want to go going forward and then where can you access those resources. And sometimes we did our own trainings as well, so um, intercultural communications trainings or um, uh, we collaborated with some of the other group companies who present computer skills like excel training courses and things like that too so that's something that the program's kind of developed in that way so we also sometimes do uh, training for um you know clients who have groups of people coming to japan so we might do an orientation session for them over a couple of days introducing uh you know different services you know how to ride a train (laughs) um how to (laughs) read your bills like how to sort your rubbish and um you know one of the sections that i would present was the cultural adjustment section so how to deal with you know the wave of going up and down when you're in a foreign place Uh, and these people that you do that training for so they're foreign nationals who have been hired by your client company and then you've been hired to acclimatize them oh okay i didn't realize there's such a service in japan it depends on the company and Mm -hmm. how many people they might have who might need that training you know if they're going to uh, work with a you know specialist company who has that kind of Uh, training capability already our biggest area i guess of expertise is education Uh, but we also have clients in hospitality and it and other kinds of business services so um, working in japanese company that has a lot of dealings with international clients or who have subsidiaries overseas so they might need someone in their head office to manage um, business communications or HR functions or marketing or sales so lots of different kind of jobs here and there sometimes you know dedicated translation roles as well so um, yeah we have uh, some clients who come to us because we work with you know non-Japanese people almost specifically (laughs) Uh, we do have some people who are of course Japanese nationals who register with us and who are candidates of ours but a lot of the people who come to us are because we provide you know a lot of support in English, <laughs> yeah. for finding work in Japan. Is having Jet on your CV or resume something Japanese employers would regard as being positive? I think so, because it shows that you've had experience working in a traditional Japanese environment, that you understand a lot of the 
how do I say, the origins of formalities of the society as a whole, but also where workplaces get a lot of their rules and regulations too. So I think that um, having someone, and particularly working as a teacher as well, I mean, teaching is still in Japan regarded as a very, um, you know, revered profession. So uh, working in that type of role is definitely a value to people, especially if they're looking for work in Japan. I think that one thing that JETS can do in order to highlight that is to actually show specifically what they've done in their time as a JET that is in addition to the day-to-day teaching, of course, if you're an ALT, to show uh, how you've been engaged with the community and, um, you know, maybe different events or programs that you uh, got involved with. Because I think that having someone who uh, is very much... has that sense of community and has shown that they can be engaged in that way to the culture and the society is something that a lot of Japanese companies see as a plus because they know that they don't need to do a certain degree of training or adjustment for someone Mm. who um, compared to someone who might not have had that experience previously. So as a foreigner looking for work in Japan, what should they be aware of? Timeline is different for hiring in Japan compared to a lot of other countries. So um, that's something that I think um, I try to highlight when I'm talking to JETS because um, it can be very difficult after JET to find something that you really, really want to do because um, it's the middle of the financial year and the academic year for Japan overall. So Um, you know, summertime is not really the time when most companies are hiring for most of their jobs. So after the JET conference this year, I started doing a webinar series for JETs who wanted to look for work in Japan. And uh, this is, you know, the first webinar session covers a lot of topics about the labor market, including the timeline and what businesses are looking for and um, how to manage your own job-seeking schedule so that you can factor in how much time it's going to take for your visa change um, to be completed such that you can start your job straight after you finish JET, that type of thing. One of the key things is that, yeah, a lot of companies are hiring for most of their jobs around the beginning of their financial year, which is in April. So something that can be a big emotional struggle for a lot of JETs is they might need to take something that is not really what they 100% want to do straight after JET, but they might need to settle for as a temporary, you know, six month, maybe a year option until they can get around to the busier, yeah, April hiring cycles and then they can find something that they want better. Mm. Yeah, so that's something that I try and just make sure that people are aware of, that there's maybe not so many jobs available now, but they might be later. Mm. And um, it's up to you to try and find the things that you want to do, of course, but also understand that if you do want to stay in Japan, um, it might be in your best interest to have a backup option. Are the working terms for a foreigner different to what a Japanese national would expect? My thoughts about this is quite critical of the way that uh, many companies operate when it comes to non-Japanese employees. I would say that there are a lot of companies who who have it as an option to have a non-Japanese person become permanent employee. So I'm a permanent employee of my company right now. And, uh, you know, a lot of the clients that we work with have 
sometimes they start out as a temporary contract and then it you know becomes a possibility to be a permanent employee later on a lot more companies have uh you know renewable fixed term contracts so it can mean that to be honest having long-term stable employment in japan can be very difficult for a lot of people uh, this is particularly true in the education industry so unless you're in a um, private education institution um, the likelihood is that you would be in those kinds of fixed-term more often than not so there are there is a lot to say about working with a large and reputable organization which after after working continuously with a company for five years now, the the company is obliged to offer you a um, permanent contract if you ask for it. For a lot of people who work for smaller organisations, it can be difficult to have that kind of long term option as a possibility. But um, yeah, sometimes working for a larger company can be helpful in that regard. Depends yeah. though. I think more, more than that, it's like people people are curious about what kind of benefits they can get and, you know, insurance mm. and all those kinds of things, which is, yeah, contract to contract is going to differ. So I just say, check the contract detail. In, in a lot of cases, even if there is like an English version of it, the Japanese one will hold, that's the legal one officially. So um, it's a good idea to, to know what you're signing. <laughs> we're faced with choice paralysis which basically ramps up our level of anxiety about whether or not we're actually making the right decision for our future that's exactly it i think choice paralysis is something that um faces all of us for a lot of things these days even just buying you know one item you can go online and search for all of the alternatives and then read all of the reviews and then you know, a whole day can have passed and you haven't bought the thing yet. So even that's just, that's uh, just so <laughs> for choosing a job, choosing where you want to move, all of those types of things. That's why I try and bring it back to the things that brought you to Japan in the beginning. Um, what was it that you want to achieve? Is that something that can give you a baseline to start yourself out on your next step? Having in mind what you want to do and also what you need to do, also what you can do as well and then trying to see if there's any connection points between those things are there things that you can put off until a slightly later timeline down the road or is there something that absolutely must be done right now and then maybe just focusing on that as a starting point so particularly when i've been talking to jets is trying to make sure that that's in um the forefront Mm. of the mind so i know that was the most difficult thing for me personally yeah which was basically choice. share that with others choice yeah what do, what do yeah. i do i don't know yeah. and in the end the choices that i made um have led me to where i am so i think that you know it was fine at the end of the day and that's the other thing that i would say as well as long as you can um you know get yourself into the mindset that this is just a step in the next thing that you're going to do I think that there's a lot of pressure these days. A lot of career advice literature and job-seeking literature and um, just even all over the internet, just, you know, find your passion. You know, what is it that you want to do? Make sure you love what you do. You have to love 
could do every day. I hate that. It's an example of something that is a simple aspirational message that has become corrupted, uh, either as a method of measuring who's winning at life or to sell something by making you feel inadequate. It's no longer useful if it becomes harmful. I read this in Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. She graduated from law school, was working as a lawyer, felt like she had everything that she had wanted, but then she was unhappy. And then why was she unhappy? And then um, she talked to her mother about being unhappy with her situation. And I don't remember specifically what her mother said to her, but um, it made her realize what a luxury it is to be able to be concerned about wanting mm. to be passionate every day about what you do. It's, it is a luxury. And I think that it's definitely something that you should aspire to if that's you know really what you want, to be very, very happy and passionate in your everyday life mm. at work. But sometimes... Um, particularly when you're on a timeline <laughs> to find something and there might not be a lot of companies hiring for you know the thing that you're very passionate about or maybe the thing that you're very passionate about you don't have any experience in yet so you can't really get that job yet mm. so I think it's okay for you to be working towards that but then make sure that you're okay with what you're doing now and maybe what you choose now can get you a little bit closer to that goal or gives you enough space to explore that passion of yours outside of work as well and build that skill set outside of work as a personal pursuit. Exactly. And there's lots of ways exactly. to be happy in what you're doing. It doesn't always have to be your work. Yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah. maybe that's a strange thing for a recruiter to say. <laughs> but I think that's a thing. very realistic thing for a recruiter to say. <laughs> <laughs> My approach to, I guess, career coaching is then trying to just introduce tools actually for um, the the other person to go away and, and think about how they can apply it for themselves. So I think it's always important to have someone to bounce ideas off and to try and get advice from. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is really up to you to determine what it is that's actually really important to you and what's going to be acceptable to you even if it's not something you really really want to do and sometimes my my colleagues make fun of me for being a little bit too realistic <laughs> and not encouraging <laughs> enough <laughs> for me what's important is just to have knowledge about you know what the reality is and then how can I adjust my expectations to fit the reality of the world because I can have all of the dreams and desires that I want and still aim towards those, but I still have to fit myself into what is possible. So that's what I guess my approach is to try and really be practical and just to give frameworks and, and tools for people to think about, you know, what direction they, they should go in. Could you expand on that concept of tools or frameworks? I might not be able to talk about everything because there are so many. <laughs> I, um, I have a personal interest in this as well. So I like to do a lot of research, uh, what types of thinking you can do, how to make decisions. There's lots of books that other people have written as well about how to approach you know, life and career. One thing that I've been trying to introduce actually to a lot of people I've spoken to recently is this uh, framework that's called, I think in, Jap in Japanese it's called Will, Can and Must. But I've changed it to want, can, must, because just the language is a little bit different. Um, but it's actually, because um, it's used a lot, actually, in Japanese 
um, career planning and guidance for you know new graduates and things like that too. So um, it's something that I think is really really simple, and it's easy to get your mind around and brainstorm for yourself in lots of different circumstances. And so that's why I've been trying to introduce it to <laughs> to my candidates recently. So essentially, it's just having I might share a picture with you like a Venn diagram mm. of three circles can want must and then there's overlapping points for each of the circles and then one big overlap in the middle where all three of them meet so the idea being of course that there are some things that are only going to be in one circle some things that might be in two circles and some things that might fit all three and of course what you want to be working towards is that ideal in the middle where the thing that you want to do or the thing that you want to buy or the place where you want to move to has all of those all of those three things um, but the reality is that you might be in one of the other spheres but it can give you a really good idea about what it, what it is that you need to work towards or what you're lacking in the option that you're considering so um, I guess how I would suggest using this is to just draw it out circles and then brainstorm for yourself what it is that falls into that category and then use it as a basis to decide what you prioritize when mm. you're thinking about your career plan so um, yeah as I said it can be useful for apartment hunting as well actually <laughs> or jets you know I must have a job that is going to give me a visa in time I must find a place that I need to move to I just need somewhere that I can move to or, you know, if I have a partner living in um, Osaka, I must move to Osaka so I be with that person. It really depends on the individual. So that's why I was saying um, having a tool or a framework to guide your decision making is, a in a lot of ways, a very helpful starting point before you start talking to other people about advice, if that makes sense. So having, having the consultation is, of course, going to be very helpful. Um, but if you can kind of come to a consultation with some pre-existing mm. idea about mm. what it is that you've got in mind for yourself, that's really helpful. And taking that away going forward as well and then using it as the, the basis for designing your plan. Mm. <laughs> so, for example, for the next month, mm. I'm going to buckle down on my want area and I'll just see what's out there research all of the jobs that I can find all of the companies I can find that have a connection to the thing that I really really want to do and then you know I'll spend a month doing that and trying to apply for all of those jobs but given my timeline that's all I can allow myself and then once that's over if I've got all my applications out there I might still be waiting to hear back from some that's fine but I'm going to then move on to my my next one, which is my can or my must. So it depends on, you know, where, where you want to be going. Mm. Just having it as a kind of order of priority can be helpful. And then in terms of longer term career planning as well, I think it's helpful because you can also use it for thinking, okay, this is where I want to be. Just that's where I want to be in general, but maybe a year down the line, two years down the line. What is it that I'm missing in the can area compared to where I want to be? And then knowing where the gaps are, then, okay, so I'm going to spend the next year of my life researching and studying up on that gap area. So it might be someone who's, you know, had some previous experience working as a programmer in Australia, and then they've 
come to Japan, they're teaching English, they've improved their Japanese skills, but they now want to, you know, try working in an IT company here. Uh, but a lot of companies here use uh, Ruby on Rails or Ruby, Ruby on Rails mm-hmm. as a programming language because it's Japanese um, and that's not something that you might already know. So, okay, I know that now. I'm going to spend the next year making sure I brush up on that. I might also try and do some projects online as a personal aside of my other job or maybe somehow tied into my current job doing some programming project using that language plus you know python plus java whatever and then having that as a project that you can bring to an interview at the end of the year saying i spent this year learning this and i've you know also done this project i think that shows you know motivation it shows your ability to be you know work towards dedication all those kinds of things. So, um, and also gives you tangible recent experience as well in using the actual thing that you've just learned. So, yeah, I mean, it can be very different for <laughs> for yeah. whoever you are. Yeah. Just the idea of, you know, can and want and must mm. uh, can be just useful to, to distill in your mind a, a pathway to go. Every every decision that you, you choose, it, it puts you in a place where you can see what other options there are and it gives you more choices or other choices that you may not have been able to see when you were back at the other place so uh, a lot of people they they already know what they want to do from you know when they were very young you know i want to be a lawyer i want to be a doctor and that's that's what they studied and that's what they do um all of their life and they're those people they're always you know on that track and it's kind of in some ways easy for them because um they they have that fundamental want that's pushing them through every decision that they're making um but for a lot of other people i think it's a struggle when you have a lot of different things that you want to do and you're not sure where to go next the way to approach that is just that you know knowing that every every option is going to give you other options and and growing you know maybe in sometimes different directions and that's been true for me because you know when i started out as a you know graduated from uni I started working as a student advisor and then came on jet for two years and then um, took a little detour for six months and then now like working as a recruiter the thing that's kind of stayed all the way through is this is this thread of education and international um, relations and combining those two things and that's something that I'm still very passionate about even now with um, what I'm doing more of what I'm doing is in relation to perhaps, um, you know, personal development or learning and development, educating people about the labour market, that type of thing. So it's still kind of, in my mind, education <laughs> or training related. So for me, like I've like the place in which I'm doing these work has changed a lot, and the nature of it has changed a little bit everywhere. But I think um, there's been some thread that's similar throughout everything so that's just I mean my case some people have completely different things <laughs> um, throughout their lives and that's fine too I think it's um you know an adventure yeah <laughs> you've given quite a lot of really good ideas and a lot of food for thought so this next question might be a little redundant but do you have any final thoughts a lot of what I've been saying has been geared towards people who are currently on jets I think um, so. I mean, I also think that a lot of the 
the things I've talked about can be applicable regardless of if you're currently on jet or not. Just thinking about a change or how to make a decision about what you want to do next and what your kind of guiding principle might be. It's not easy to find sometimes. And I think for some people, they might also question themselves, <laughs> you know, once they make the decision. But I think it's, it's, it's part of the adventure of life and living this kind of international life as well is constantly having to make decisions about what makes you comfortable or what, what is the thing that challenges you or excites you. And sometimes you just know that immediately. Sometimes you really have to, to question and, and ask around and, and find it. For me, this has been a very interesting journey so far, as I was saying to you. It's been almost seven years since I've been in Japan. It really doesn't feel like that long. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I can still remember what it was like when I first got here and when I first went to my classes. And it was it does kind of feel like a long time ago in some ways, but I can still remember what it felt like. Yeah, just keeping keeping in the back of my mind as well, like why it was that I wanted to be here in the first place and what I wanted to feel and achieve and and experience by by coming to a foreign country. You know, mm -hmm. just keeping that in mind in making my decisions about, you know, if I want to stay doing what I'm doing or make a change or yeah. go into something yeah. else. Yeah, I think that's something that can be different for everyone. Many thanks to Amanda and her insights. I hope you found that useful and reassuring, whatever you might be facing. As you've heard, Amanda was a speaker and a mentor at the 2020 AfterJet Conference, which is a career counseling event created for Jets in their final year in a program held every year in Tokyo. You can find a link to the framework on decision-making in the footnotes for this episode, as well as a general link to the resources for the conference. As always, thanks for listening, and take care, and stay safe. Till next time, goodbye. The AfterJet podcast is supported by Claire. Council of Local Authorities for International Relations, that is otherwise an independent project by me, Aiden Law. All opinions and ideas discussed on the Octagen podcast do not necessarily represent the views or position of Claire or any organization associated with Claire. Thank you as always to everyone who has supported and made this project of mine possible. I hope you've enjoyed listening, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, email me at webmaster at jetaainternational.org. Music adapted for this episode, Decisions, Illusions, Confusions, by the Kyoto Connection from the album The Middle Way is licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike license and is available on freemusicarchive.org.